So I actually have a, a confession to make. I struggle with this one particular problem. It's, it's been quite a while. It's been about 30 plus years since I struggled with this particular problem, and that problem is called pride. I'm a very prideful person. Uh, a lot of times, I'm just overly confident in myself. For example, someone asked me a favor. It's not a matter of, okay, is that possible? Immediately, immediately my mind goes to how. How would I make that work? Um, if I go hiking, I feel like I can just jump uh, off of any rock or I can, I can just maneuver my way. Uh, one time I went on a hiking trip with our high school seniors and we were just resting on this big rock and it was, it was, it was, just, it was it's pretty hard to climb. So there was this back road where you, uh, on the backside you have kind of these steps that you can go on and, and, and as we're coming down, I was thinking to myself, I feel like I can jump off of this rock. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's not that bad. And one of my youth kids told me, uh, Pastor James, uh, please don't do that. And so it was the other way around. Normally, I'll, I should be there to make sure they're staying safe. But one of my youth kids said, no, please don't jump off of the rock. And so, yeah, I, I followed their instructions. And I'm glad I did so because I did not hurt myself that day. And so I, I struggle with pride. I just feel like I can do anything. Uh, one particular example is um, in our children's ministry, we have um, Noah. Noah's in fifth grade, uh, Kenny and Hewan Mativer's son, and, and I, know, I, I knew Noah for years now, and one day Noah challenged me to a game of Madden. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a video game uh, where you play uh, football, and so I, I said, yeah, of course I'll play you, because I played a couple years ago. I played Noah when he was in, in second, third grade, and I destroyed him. Right? And so we were having this conversation. He's like, I want to play you, Pastor James, a game of Madden. And I, I said, yeah, that's fine. You know, I haven't played ever since, but I, I, I'm pretty confident in my, my knowledge of football. I'm pretty confident in my hand-eye coordination. So I said, yeah, let's play it. And, and Noah says this, Pastor James, I'm going to destroy you. Just, just heads up. You know? <laughs> and, and so I knew Noah has been, play, been playing this game uh, for a while. But yeah, we, we play this game. And uh, long story short, short uh, I, I had no idea you can actually score over 80 points in the game of Madden. Uh, Noah scored uh, like 81 points or something like that on me. I only thought, you know, that's a score that Kobe Bryant could make, but uh, apparently you can make that on Madden. Uh, but I was pretty confident, yet I was quickly humbled at that moment. But it's not just these small things in life. But when it comes to education, for example, when I was a high school senior, I always thought, College is going to be easy, piece of cake. And I was quickly humbled. When I was in college, I was actually a pre-med student. And I was studying um, and preparing to go to medical school. And I thought, you know, if I just do my work, you know, going into medical school, piece of cake. I was quickly humbled. Uh, I had an opportunity to marry my wife. And, and as we were entering this, into this beautiful covenant of marriage, I thought to myself, you know, I could be a loving husband. I'm going to make sure that she never cries. She never has a bad day in her life. I'm going to be there for her all the time. And I was quickly humbled. Um, I heard that my wife was pregnant with Timothy, my first son. And at that moment, I thought, I'm, I'm going to be the best father, right? I'm going to give him everything that he desires. I'm going to teach him the right way. I'm going to raise him up into this godly man. And, and it didn't take long for me to be humbled in my thinking. The truth is, I am overly confident in many things, but I'm not equipped to do all things. And in today's passage, we meet Joshua, 
And in verse 13, we see that he is ready for work. It says that he is by Jericho, the walls of Jericho. And we know this is important because the rest of the Israelites, they are at Gilgal. They're at the eastern part, the borderline of Jericho. They're not in enemy territory. They're at this safe place because they just created stone monuments. They uh, perform circumcision. They are celebrating a week-long festival, the Passover. And so they're having a good time there. In the meanwhile, Joshua, he's by himself, by the walls of Jericho in enemy territory. And we see that, that that Joshua, most likely, he's, he's planning for this battle. He knows that, that uh, this is not the end of the journey, but it's just the beginning of the journey. If you remember, Joshua was one of the original 12 spies who were sent by Moses, right? Ten of them came back and said, we are grasshoppers compared to those people in, in the land of, of Canaan. And Joshua and Caleb, those two were the only people who said, if the Lord, if he has favor upon us, if he's the one who leads us, then we can conquer that land. Are they big and strong? Absolutely. But can we conquer that land? Absolutely. So Joshua was ready to fight. However, because of the disobedience and the disbelief of the Israelites, Joshua had to wait 40 years, and now he's back in the promised land. And he's looking at this land. He's looking at this fortress, which is Jericho, and he's ready to do God's work. He's ready to go in and, and conquer. So being the military guy he is, he's thinking about strategies. He, he's coming up with a plan. Uh, he's, he's looking at the place and seeing if there's any weaknesses, any, any things that he can use to his advantage. But at the same time, this is a fortified city. This is a pretty strong, uh, big, thick uh, city. Um, it's, locked, it's locked down. It's a mighty fortress. It seems impenetrable from the outside. And we see Joshua, he's wrestling with this idea at the wall. And at that moment, in verse 13, we are told, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So as Joshua is preparing for battle, he sees this mysterious man. And this strange man has a sword in his hand, a drawn sword in his hand. Now, I lived in Texas uh, for a good part of my life. And so I see guns all the time. Yeah, and that, that's not a big deal. Like seeing people, see, seeing people with guns, that, that's not a big deal. It's pretty normal uh, down, down in the south. However, if you see someone with a drawn gun, that's a different story. Right? Notice in today's text, it doesn't say that this man just simply had a sword, but it says that the sword was drawn. This man is ready to fight. This man is ready for battle. Now, let me share what I think about this situation, what I would have done in this situation. First of all, um, I would have flinched a little bit, right, because, you know, you're not expecting this. I don't, I don't think I would have screamed. I'm not really a screamer when I, when I, when I <laughs> get surprised, but I would have been so shocked. You know, I would, I would have flinched a little bit, and then I would have frozen a little bit, and then the next thing I would do is I would raise my hands, right, seeing that the sword is drawn. But look at what Joshua does. He's such a warrior, He's a tough dude. The text tells us that instead of running away, instead of screaming, he walks towards this man. And he, he strikes up a conversation with this guy. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? In other words, are you with us or are you against us, friend or foe? 
man, this guy is pretty courageous. He's not scared. He's fairly confident in his ability to combat. And that's why even when he sees a man who has a drawn sword, you know, he, he thinks, I can handle my own business. I'm not afraid. What I need to know is if this guy is on my side or if I need to fight this guy. Are you for us or are you against us? Which this man looks at Joshua and he responds, no. That's a weird response, right? Verse 14, it says, no, neither, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Remember, back in chapter 1, we were told that God, God was the one who called Joshua into this role to, to, to be the leader of the Israelites. Instead of Moses, he was going to be the one uh, that's going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. So Joshua knew that he was a commander. He knew that he was the leader of this army. In other words, in Joshua's mind, he is the commander of the Lord's army. He is the commander of the Lord's people. And he's pretty confident, and he's preparing for this battle. He's sizing up Jericho, studying Jericho, all the weaknesses, the, the, the points that he can attack. And at this moment, when he hears this, this response, what he should have said was, no, I'm the, I'm the commander. I'm the one in charge. Who are you? Wait, that should have been his response. But notice in verse 14, it says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? So two things that you notice in today's text. Two things that, that stand out with Joshua's response. Joshua worshipped and he submitted. So worship and submission are the two responses that we see from Joshua, he literally says, my Lord, I am your servant. What can I do for you? Why? Who is this guy? Why does Joshua respond in such a way? We know that this person is not an angel. Why? Because we are told in the Bible that only God can be worshipped. Only God can be the object of our worship. And notice that Joshua, knowing fully the scriptures and all the commandments, he is bowing down in worship here. This man, by the way, is not stopping Joshua. And so we know that this person is someone special. Angels, normally, when they are worshipped, they would stop human beings. We see this in Revelation chapter 22 when John the apostle, he sees this great vision. Uh, and this vision is given by an angel and he begins to worship this angel. It says in Revelation chapter 22 verse 9, no, 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 you must not do that. He's stopping John the Apostle from worshiping him because the angel says, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. That's what the angel says, and that's the proper response. Even angels know that they do not deserve worship. They are unworthy of worship. There's only one person who's worthy of all of our worship, and that is God alone. So this man does not stop Joshua, does not tell Joshua to stand up. Rather, he tells Joshua, take off, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. Who is this? This reminds us of, of Exodus chapter 3 when Moses he, he comes to this burning bush, and at that moment, he encounters the Lord. He encounters God. So Joshua, he's encountering a man who's actually God. The commander of the Lord's army is actually the Lord himself. And as New Testament Christians, we know who this man is. If this man is a man, but he's God, then there's only one person 
is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army. We call this in a technical way uh, uh, a Christophany, uh, the revealing of Christ in the Old Testament. And you might ask, well, in the Old Testament, uh, when did Jesus exist? Because I thought in the first century, that's when Jesus appeared to us. But uh, the Bible is very clear, letting us know that Jesus, although he was a historical figure, he exists in time. We also know that he exists before time. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in verse 14 it says, This Word became flesh and dwelt among us and revealed the glory of God to us. So who is this this eternal Word? It is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created through him, for him, and by him. Jesus. We see in Revelation 1 that Jesus says, I am the first and the last. So it is very clear that although this man just seems like a random man, he is the second person of the Trinity, the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army. He alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise for eternity. So Joshua recognizes this, and he drops down, face on the ground, and he begins to worship, and he says, my Lord, I am your servant. What do you want from me? At that moment, Joshua recognized something very, very important. He recognized that he was no longer in charge, that he was not the commander. It says in verse 15, after the man said, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy, it says, and Joshua did so without, without hesitation, without any questioning. Joshua did so, worshiped, and submitted. So there's two things I just want to highlight from today's text. The first truth that you should remember from today's text is this. Jesus is in charge, not us. Jesus is in charge and not us. You might think, well, that's an obvious statement, but a lot of times we say that Jesus is in charge, but we surely live as if we are in charge. We are the ones who, call, who are calling the shots. We are the ones who are making decisions for our lives. We are the ones who are acting as the commander-in-chief for our life. We come up with the plans. We come up with the options. And then we bring it to God and say, well, God, what do you think? Now, a lot of times we're wanting to know what the will of God is for our lives. You know, we're all con- always concerned about ourselves. Everything is centered around ourselves. And in today's passage, The Lord is reminding us that we are not in charge. Rather, Jesus himself is in charge. The question is not, God, are you for us or are you against us? The question is, are you on God's side? Because God, he has his own side. It's not about, is he for you or not against you? The real question is, are you on God's side? So that's why the commander of the Lord's army responds, neither. No. Joshua, your question is wrong. It's not about picking sides. It's about you recognizing that you need to be on my side. Jesus, he is the commander, that he's the one who's in control. And this is good news because this means you don't have to do everything in life, that you don't have to have all the answers in life. I think a lot of times the reason why we live such busy lives, the reason why we try to connect with 100-plus people online the reason why we're trying to constantly keep up with people is because we feel like we need to control everything, that we need to have all the answers, that we need to maintain everything in life. We need to build up a resume for success. We need to 
invest in our career for lasting security and success. We need to maintain a happy family. We need to be a good husband and a good wife. We need to raise our children in the right way because if we fail, everything else fails. No, we always think that we need to work harder to make things work. And can I just share something uh, that I received from my marriage counseling uh, when I was in my pre-marriage counseling? I shared this before, but um, when we were doing our, our premarital counseling, me and my wife, uh, there's this question that the counselor asked. The question was, what are you afraid of as you're walking into marriage? What are you concerned about? Just name one thing. My wife wrote, I'm afraid that my husband is going to die. That my husband dying early, that's, that's my concern. That's my biggest fear. I wrote, I'm afraid of me failing as a husband. Not being able to provide for my family, not being there for me for my family, knowing that ministry is tough financially and you know, time consuming. That, that was my concern. Like, can I be a good husband to, to make this marriage work? And the counselor told, told both of us, well, your answers are wrong. Why? Because for my wife, if she was saying that her biggest fear is me dying, that means that she's thinking this, the success of this marriage depends on me. If I'm saying, well, my failure is the most important thing in my marriage, what I'm trusting is not God, it's, it's myself, my ability in this marriage. And, and so the counselor told us, my biggest fear in my marriage is being unfaithful to the Lord. Because when you're unfaithful to the Lord, that's when you know your marriage is not going to work. Because marriage is designed by God, it's blessed by God, but as long as you are following his design the way that he, he orchestrated it to be, and you are sacrificially loving one another, that you are submitting to one another in such a way, in the thick and thin, you'll be okay. So your biggest concern is faithfulness to the Lord. And I think this is true with anything in life, whether it's your career whether it's your relationships, the biggest question that you have to answer is not how, how, how can I handle all this? What more can I do? The biggest question is this. Am I being faithful to the Lord in my studies, in my relationships, in my career, in my life choices? Because if I'm not being faithful, then I don't have the blessings of God in my life. I don't have the favor of God in my life. And that is a big, big problem. One of the most common questions that we ask when it comes to prayer is, God, what is, my will, what is your will for my life? That's the question. And that's a very self-centered question. You're basically saying, God, I, I need answers. I need direction. What if we ask the question, God, what is your plan in general? What is your plan for the world? What is your plan for history? Because whatever your plan is, I want to leverage my life for that plan. I want to submit to that plan. I'm not asking you to simply bless my plans, but you're in control. You're the commander-in-chief. I trust you. Tell me what to do. I will obey it. So you see that when you recognize that Jesus is in charge and not you, then you no longer have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You can trust God's word. You can trust his will. You can trust his direction and live faithfully to his word. And you know that you're going to be all right. So Jesus is in charge, not us. The second truth that we need to highlight today is this. Before you can go to work, you must worship. Before you can go to work, you must worship. Worship always precedes 
work. Worship prepares us for the work of God. We see that worship is actually preparing Joshua for war. Worship is not just something that you feel or do. It's not just an event that you have once a week for an hour or two um, every Sunday. Worship is not just something that you do to to get something from God. Worship is something that you do, recognize that everything that you have belongs to God. Worship is not just a choice that you make. It's a lifestyle. It's something that you live out day by day. It's not something that you attend. It's what you do in your everyday life. And here's why worship is so important. There's two things that I want you to notice about worship. Worship produces power. Worship produces power power. Can we say that all together? Worship produces power. Why? Because if there's anything that we have learned in the book of Joshua, it's the fact that the presence of God leads to the power of God. As long as you have the Ark of the Covenant, you have the presence of God, and where the presence of God is, you have the power of God. Whenever you see God move in the Bible, it is always through His presence. New Testament, you look at the Holy Spirit, how He's moving. Whenever there's the Holy Spirit, there's the presence of God, and when you have the presence of God, there's the power of God that's unleashed for the advancing of the gospel. So worship is the place where you get to unleash the power of God. So don't neglect your personal time of worship. Constantly spend time in God's word and prayer. Don't neglect your, 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 your time with worship with the community of God. Because you see, worship produces power. But the second thing that worship does is this. It reminds us of our position. Worship reminds us of our position. When we worship God, we are reminded that we are not God. That God is the creator, we are his creation. That we are not in control, but God is in control. So when we worship, we put God in his rightful place. We put ourselves in our rightful place. And now life begins to make sense. Did you know that God's position in your life is far more important than knowing God's plan for your life? God's position in your life is far more important than knowing God's plan for your life life. Why? A lot of times we say, God, just reveal your plan. Tell me what to do, and, and my life will be so much you know, better. Like, I'll live an easy life. I'll follow you all the way. But notice what's going to happen in, after this passage. God is going to call the Israelites. He's going to tell specifically to Joshua, here's how you're going to bring down Jericho. I want you to gather the people, and out of the people, I want you to gather some trumpet players. Nothing against trumpet players, but I mean, as far as I know, trumpets are not weapons. But gather the trumpet players. You're going to walk around Jericho once a day. The last day, you're going to walk seven times. And then you're going to scream. That's your strategy. God reveals the plan. Would you obey that? You will only obey that if before the plan of God, you understand your position before God. God can reveal his plan. That's not a problem. The problem is God's plan sometimes is far greater than our plans. It's nothing like our thoughts. And so the moment that we hear God's plan, it's like, oh, that's crazy. I can't do that. God, you tell me to give up my life for your glory. God, you tell me to deny, deny myself daily for the gospel. God, you tell me to gather with this, this, these people that I don't even know and you tell me to call them brother and sister, it's in Christ. God, you actually tell me to, to pursue this, this relationship called marriage in a selfless way 
where I'm making sacrifices on a daily basis. God, you tell me to raise these children that are self-centered, that all that they know is, is themselves, that they have so much need. God, you tell me to honor my parents when, how, despite everything that they told me, how they hurt me in my past. No. If you simply hear God's plan, your answer will be no. But notice, before God goes to work, he reminds us that we need to worship. And when you worship, the position of God changes, that you are no longer in the driver's seat, but you put God as the commander-in-chief, and you simply say, whatever you tell me, even if it sounds crazy, I'm going to obey it. And so notice that worship always precedes work. Maybe the reason why you're not seeing God work in your life is because you're not in a place of worship. So when you worship, you are filled with God's presence, and that presence releases God's power. And when you worship, you're reminded of God's position in your life. So meet with God on a daily basis. Come together in community with the people of God. God reveals himself through his word in prayer. God reveals himself through the community of believers. So trust in God's plan. Stop just thinking Christianity in terms of doing stuff. What you need to do is not more stuff. It's not about working harder. It's about worshiping God in every avenue of life. And when we do that, when we are in the right position where we are letting God go first, when we are letting Jesus go first and we're simply following, we have victory in our life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, if there's one thing that you can be thankful for, there's a million things that you can be thankful for. But if there's one thing that you should be thankful for, is the fact that victory does not belong to our ability or who we are or who, where we were before. Victory, victory belongs to Jesus. And as long as we are following Jesus, we are trusting in him, we are believing in him, then victory belongs to us. So submit to God today. Recognize that you're not in charge. Recognize that you're not the commander of your life. God is. Whatever you're dealing with today, if you have this Jericho in front of you, if you have a stumbling um, block, block before you where you are struggling to see how you can make it to the other side and on your journey of faith, trust in the Lord. Acknowledge his worth. Worship him today. Fall on your face today. Take off your shoes and give him control and see how he's going to work in your life. Amen? Let's pray.